Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of sports. We don't want to waste any more time. We want to jump into the conversation, but... After this podcast is done, we want you to swing on over to odphpodcast.com and make sure we continue this conversation going on the social media accounts. They're all right there in the front section of the page. There's also the T Public Store, the Parlay Points blog section, which has a brand new wrestling blog up right now, the classifieds, the directory, and, and, and the big, big addition to the podcast, the Patreon is up. Hey, oh. So for $2, one tier. And you get to have some exclusives that we're going to be allowing you, the ODPH Society, to help pick some segments for the show. We got some new merch stickers we're going to be mailing out. We got a lot of stuff that's in the works. So if you want to be a part of that, that's where you click on sign up. We thank Rich from 3FN and Stu from SW Productions. They're the first ones that signed up for the deal. We can't thank them enough for doing that. But if you want to be like them, and I hope you do, swing on over to odphpodcast.com and check it out. And if you're on social media, always remember to use the hashtag ODPHpod. But kicking off this edition of the show, mm-hmm. it's a big UFC weekend. Yeah, it is. With one of the most stacked cards in recent memory. Uh-huh. So, Pat, let's talk a little UFC 278, shall we? Yeah, so taking place this Saturday, August the 20th, 2022, from the Vivint Arena, uh, the current home of the uh, Utah Jazz, former home of the uh, Utah Stars in the WNBA, uh, former home of the Utah Blaze, the, going back to the AFL days. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, is UFC 278, uh, and got a pretty stacked card. Uh, looking, at, we're going to start with the main card. Uh, leading off in the light heavyweight division, you have a matchup between Tyson Pedro taking on uh, Harry Hunsucker. Yeah, so this one, Pedro is definitely making a little bit of noise here. I know he's a big favorite, a minus 740, according to UFC.com. So this one, it'll be a good test for him. And I, I think this will be pretty one-sided. I don't see how Pedro is going to wind up losing this one, to be honest with you. But everybody has a puncher's chance. That's the big thing about this. Yeah, even Siri's trying to jump in on it. Uh, looking at Tyson Pedro's record in 11 professional matches, he has a record of eight wins, three losses, uh, currently on a one-fight winning streak, uh, beating the likes of Ike Villanueva in his last fight via leg kick and punches knockout. Uh, that was back in April. Uh, before that, he was on a two-fight losing streak, losing two... Uh, uh, Mauricio Hua, that was back in a fight night in December of 2018, uh, and then losing to OSP Open St. Peru via an armbar submission that was back in June of 2018. Uh, his opponent actually doesn't have a Wikipedia page. Uh, I had to go to SureDog to look up this man's uh, record. He has a record of seven wins, five losses, currently on a two-fight losing streak, uh, lost to Justin Taffa. That was at a uh, UFC fight night uh, in December of 2021. He got knocked out. Uh, and then he lost to Tai Tuyavasa. That was on a UFC on ESPN card. Uh, he also got knocked out on that one. That was in March of 2021. 
Yeah, I remember that one. Ty definitely <laughs> laid laid the smackdown, if we're going to use wrestling terms for that. Yeah, I, w- I would say so. Uh, 49 seconds was the record of victory. Yeah, so not saying Hunsucker can't come back from this, but I think this is all Pedro's to do. I mean, yeah. pa- Pedro's not exactly lighting up the charts, so to speak, but I think this would be a good test for him if he wants to start getting ranked. Obviously, the light heavyweight division is a little suspect right now. Sure. So this is a perfect time to make some noise there. So it'd be a good way to kick off the card. And it's going to be interesting just for uh, Harry Hunsucker, just because according to his uh, sure dog page, uh, he's his class is heavyweight. So it looks like he's coming down for this fight. So that'll be interesting to see. But I'm going to have to go with uh, Tyson, though, just because I'm looking. And according to his Wikipedia page, he's a black belt in Japanese jujitsu, mm-hmm. a black belt in Kempo and a black belt in Brazilian jujitsu. Holy shit. This guy sounds like he's ready. Yeah, well, that's the whole thing, that you really got to be a well-versed fighter if you're really going to make some noise in the UFC. And for Hunsucker, yeah, you are right. He is coming down from the heavyweight division. And you never know how that's going to go, too. I mean, obviously, if you're struggling up at the higher weight class, going down to a smaller one does help in some cases. It does hurt in other ones. Sure. Because you give and take a little bit from your stamina and such when you do that. So, interesting fight to kick off the card, nevertheless. And speaking of the heavyweight division, that is the next division matchup we're going to talk about. Because in that division, we have a a fight going on between uh, Marcin Tybura and Alexander Romanov. So this one is possibly going to be headlining the prelims, too. So they have not officially declared yet. Okay. So I wouldn't doubt this does headline the prelims, though, to be honest with you. Tybura is definitely a journeyman in the heavyweight division. Romanoff, same thing. So very even matchup, if you ask me. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, Tybura is somebody who will stand in there and scrap with you. Romanoff's a little more of a, of a, a wrestling style, if you will. Yeah. I know Romanoff is favored uh, minus 460 to a plus 370. Okay. So if I have to really choose, I'd go with Tybura on this one. Yeah. Uh, looking at Tybura's record in 29 professional matches, he has a record of 22 wins, 7 losses, currently on a one-fight losing streak. Uh, he lost to Alexander Volkov via unanimous decision at UFC 267. That was back in October of last year. Uh, before that, he was on a one, two, three, four, five fight winning streak. Uh, so you got that going for him. Uh, and then Alexander Romanov is currently on a holy shit. Uh, this man is undefeated. 16 wins, no losses. Uh, beat his last opponent by, by a guy by the name of Chase Sherman via, and I got to admit, never heard of this submission, Keylock submission. Oh, really? Yeah, the, according to the Wikipedia, uh, beat him by Keylock submission. You don't see that one every day. No, you do not. Uh, but he also, uh, so breaking down his record, he's got six wins by knockout, nine by submission, and only one by decision. So this should be an interesting test for him, though. Like I say, it does explain the favored yeah. rankings according to the Vegas line. Yeah. So, but I'm still going to take Tybura in this one. I mean, Romanoff, if he puts him away quick, I think that could definitely do it. I mean, Tybura is not the worst fighter in the world, not the most exciting sure. in my opinion. Sure. But I think this is one that will definitely be one, like if they have this main event, the prelims, I think that would be a great fight. And if they actually put this on the main card, I'd actually do this one instead of Pedro, to be honest with you. It's going to definitely be an interesting test for Tybora, simply because looking at his record in terms of his losses, seven losses, he's got four by knockout, three by decision, none are by submission. So we're about to find out how good Tybora's ground game is. Uh, and if it's good, you know, if he's able to withstand, you know, the the attempts by uh, Romanoff, you know, and, and keep it off the ground, because I think if it goes to the ground, Hello, nine submission wins. It's going to go the route of Romanoff. But if he's able to keep it up, keep it standing, I think it's going to go Tybora's way, and I'm going to go with Tybora. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think this one's – I want to say it's an even money pick, but you can't really go wrong either way. I just – I've seen more of Tybora fight, so I know what I'm going to get out of him. So that's mm-hmm. where I'm kind of leaning with this, So Next up. Is in the bantamweight division, and you've got a matchup between Jose Aldo and uh, Marab Devishvili. So – 
what can we say now about Jose Aldo and this renaissance? We think about him as always one of the most legendary featherweight champions of all time. And him dropping in weight, I will be honest, I did not like this for him. Sure. I And I, I'm not going to take back my words about this. He was a very big 145 fighter. Mm-hmm. He is a very, very cut 135. Sure. And I always say I really thought he was going to struggle with that weight cut. He has made it work, though. So I give him full credit for that. I, like I said, when I first saw him, though, mm-hmm. I, I really thought it was a bad weight cut because he was he should have been fighting it, like, honestly, at 170. So sure. I don't know what he cuts, to be honest with you, and I'm not going to sit here and play dietitian. I'm just knowing that if he's healthy enough to go and he's obviously been on somewhat of a teardown in the bantamweight division, this is a great matchup for him. Mirabab is going to be definitely challenging him, and obviously being number six in the rankings, that does help a lot too. Sure. So he does have a great track record. I know that Jose Aldo is the dog in this one, so to speak, as a plus 105, hmm. but I it's hard to go against him, and I'm going to say this, and I can't believe I'm saying this at this Time in 2002 or 2022. See, I'm so screwed up about this. I can't even figure this because this does feel like I'm talking back in 2002. Jose Aldo is probably going to get a title shot out of this. Could be. How crazy is this, Pat? Oh, it's it's very crazy. Like, I mean, because we look at Jose Aldo currently 35 years old, 35 and a half, or uh, he's going to turn 36 here in the early part of September. You know, but you know. The fact that he were talking title shot with Jose Aldo at this stage is just wild. Yeah, I mean, you think about when his first fights were and just how much when he came in. And remember him flying knee, knocking out Cub Swanson in yeah. one of the most legendary knockouts in the WEC. I mean, his first professional fight, according to his Wikipedia page, was uh, on the 10th of August in, in 2004. So the man's been around a bit. See, I wasn't that far off. I knew it was something really yeah. a long time ago. And he's, and he's done a crazy track record of, of fighting, too. Mm-hmm. It's just when you get to that stage, it's like, what else is there for him to do? I mean, he's a legendary featherweight. There's no question about it. He was going to be one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. Obviously, running into Conor McGregor did not help his case. Yeah. And I know that. That and Holloway. And Max Holloway, too. I mean, that was the rise of Max Holloway's career. Yeah, but to see him have this resurgence at 135, and I'll be honest, and I, and I know I'm going to repeat myself with this, I never saw this coming. No, it, it's certainly been impressive. I mean, in 38 professional matches, he has a record of 31 wins, seven losses. He's currently on a three-fight winning streak, uh, beating the likes of Marlon Vera by decision. That was back in December of 2020. Uh, Pedro Munoz by decision. That was in August of 2021. Uh, unit, both of those unanimous. Uh, and then he, in his last fight, he beat Rob Font by unanimous decision. And that was on the 4th of December 2021. Uh, on the flip side, uh, his opponent, Marab, in 18 professional matches, has a record of 14 wins, four losses. Currently on a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 fight winning streak. His last loss was on the 21st of April in 2018, where he lost to Ricky Simone. Uh, via a, a guillotine choke. Since then, he has uh, won one, two, three, four, five, six. So all but one of his fights by decision. Uh, the last fight uh, he beat Marlon Moraes by a TKO. That was in the, the uh, back in September of last year. Uh, also got to note he beat John Dotson by unanimous decision mm. during, during this run. Uh, so it's a hell of a run for Marab. But listen, it's Jose Aldo. It's a whole different level. 
Well, the whole thing is Morab's going to have to really slow down the striking. Like, the one area where Aldo is going to have some problems with if, if Morab tries to grapple with him. Mm-hmm. I think if Morab tries standing there and exchanging leg kicks, it's going to be a short night. <laughs> yeah. Aldo is no joke. I mean, you take a look at back when he fought Uriah Faber. You take a look back at he's basically fought anybody. Yeah. They don't really survive the leg kick attack. Well, and, and just looking at Marab's record, you know, in the 14 wins, three by knockout, one by submission, 10 by decision. If Marab expects to go, you know, a, a full, what is this, like only three, five? It'll be three, three rounds. If he expects to go three full rounds with Jose Aldo, his legs are going to be black and blue by the end of it. They're going to definitely be hurting. And then the problem that he's going to have is he has to try finishing him early. Oh, absolutely. The one thing about Aldo at this stage, too, which is going to sound weird, is he's actually learned how to pace himself better, Uh and he can go into those deep waters, so to speak, Sure. and he'll be okay, where I think before he had so much weight on him that if you got him into those fourth and fifth rounds as a champion fight, you had a better chance of beating him. Sure, and well, that's where the great athletes realize with age comes wisdom and knowledge, where... You realize that you hit a certain point, and it's not a young, it's it's not an old man's game. It's a young man's game. Mm-hmm. That you have to make adjustments and you have to make corrections to the way you play your sport to continue your long your longevity. Yeah, you know that just hey, I can still attempt to do some of the stuff I used to, you know, five ten years ago, but it's not going to land the same, you know. And I've got to make some adjustments. I, you know, maybe this one strike I was really effective with. You know what? I just don't have the punching power behind it anymore, so I'm not going to be able to use it as much. Yeah, and especially for a division that desperately needs some stars in there. That well, I shouldn't say desperate, but when you see somebody like Dominic Cruz get knocked out in a highlight reel knockout this past weekend, yeah. Which, I mean, listen, it happens in every single fight, so like it's, it, it, it can happen. So I'm not shaming him about this. But you're starting to see that transition in the stars there, and obviously with Aljamain Sterling being the champion right now, Peter Yan has definitely got a, a marquee fight coming up and how the rest of the division is going to shape up. I'm not doubting that Aldo gets a title shot here. I could see Murab getting a number one contender shot here, but I think for Aldo, because he's a name, I think he would leapfrog. And that's crazy to think about. Well, I'm looking at UFC.com slash rankings, and currently the Bantamweight champion is Aljermaine Sterling. Right. Number one contender is Peter Yan. Uh, number two is TJ Dillashaw. Number three is Jose Aldo. Four is Corey Sanhagen. Five is Marlon Vera. Number six is Marab uh, Devishvili. Uh, and then seven is Rob Font. Eight is Dominic Cruz. Nine, Pedro Munoz. Uh, and then ten is Song Yadong. Yeah. And like I say, the one fight that they're really banking on, too, is at UFC 280, and that's Sean O'Malley and Peter Yan. Right. So that's coming up really, really close, obviously. That could have some title contention talk, too. I mean, it's getting a little interesting in that division, especially for ones that you really want to see stars made there. Right. Aldo is a bona fide star, so to see him come back a la Glover Teixeira and, right. and some of the, you know the wiser veterans of the sport – it would be a huge win for the UFC and for Aldo as well. So mm-hmm. I got a feeling he's going to sneak this one out. Like I, I'm, I'm if I got to go out and some, I'm going to say decision. He's going to actually get this. I could see this being split though, to be honest with you. Okay. It just depends on how he handles the ground attack if he gets taken down. That's going to sure. be the big X factor about this one. But then we go to the co-main, and, man, I got yeah, some feelings about this one. Uh, so that's in the middleweight division, and that is between Paulo Costa and Luke Rockhold. So... This one, man, oh, man, oh, man, where do we begin? Uh, let's talk about Paulo Costa. Okay. 
Pad, when was his last fight? Last fight was on the 23rd of October in 2021, where he lost by unanimous decision to Marvin Vittori. Right, so he, he struggled there a little bit, mm-hmm. to put it mildly. Who did he fight before that? Uh, the one and only stylebender Israel Adesanya on the 27th of September 2020, where he got knocked the fuck out. Yeah, because remember, that was the whole deal about, you know, was he fully ready for it, X, Y, and Z. Adesanya made a very big statement mm-hmm. in dismantling Costa, mm-hmm. who looks like he should be fighting in the heavyweight division. He is huge. He is a very, very large, muscular man. Right. But Adesanya tore him apart. And I think the hype train that was behind him has been derailed permanently, in my opinion. Costa needs a big win to get back in here. Yeah, he does. Because I don't see him getting another title shot against uh, Stylebender because of how bad he was, mm-hmm. unless he does an Aljamain Sterling-type run. Because like, that, that knockout to Adesanya was at 3 minutes and 59 seconds of the second round, so it's not like it was a super late, oh, they're tired, and this, like, no, he got knocked out fairly early. And and this was after he was on kind of a meteoric rise, I guess you could say. I mean, mm-hmm. now you look at it and you go, oh, not really, but you think of the names at the time. Oh, yeah. Johnny Hendricks, uh, he knocked out at UFC 217 in November of 2017, uh, knocked out Uriah Hall uh, at UFC 226, that was in July of 2018. Uh, and then he beat Yoel Romero by unanimous decision in August of 2019, and that was before he ran into Adesanya. Yeah, no, he has been somebody that they had high hopes for in the UFC. Sure. But when you get to that big stage and you finally get that title shot, there's one of two ways it goes. You win, and it's a whole different ballgame, or it's how you lose. Mm-hmm. He looked like he didn't belong in that cage. Sure. I'm sorry, Adesanya was either that great, which – you can say he is, and I would not fault you on that. Or Costa wasn't ready. Sure. Or a combination of both. But it was a train wreck of a fight, and Costa just got dismantled. So I, I think it could be a case of maybe he wasn't ready because I'm looking at his record. You know, and coming into the UFC, he was undefeated. He had knocked out fucking everybody. You know, one, two, three. Let's see. He had uh, what is it? Where is it? Uh, eight fights. You know, before he made his jump into the UFC was 8-0, only had one fight not get knocked out, and that was he won a fight by rear naked choke submission. You know, so he's coming in all the hype, knockout artist, you know, so he comes in the UFC, knocks out his first opponent, knocks out his second opponent, knocks out his third opponent, knocks out his fourth opponent, and he gets in against uh, UL Romero, unanimous decision. You know, so he's riding high, he's looking real good, he just, you know, battle-tested against some of the biggest in the division. And then he gets knocked the fuck out by Stylebender. Yeah. You know, in, in the second round. All right. Hey, shrug it off. It's it's Stylebender. It's a whole other thing. And then he gets beat by Marvin Vittori. Yeah, who Stylebender ran through twice, if, if right. memory serves me right. You know, and so both of these fights are essentially, you know, month apart, but they're essentially a year apart. So I think it's a case of not being prepared and then also maybe a little bit rattled. It could be. And this is why I think this fight is very interesting with Rockhold. So let's take a look at his record. Yeah, so in uh, 21 professional matches, he has a record of 16 wins, 5 losses, currently on a two-fight losing streak. Uh, he lost his last fight to Jan Blahovitz uh, via knockout in UFC 239. That was back in July of 2019. Uh, lost his fight prior to that to Yoel Romero via knockout. That was at UFC 221. That was in February of 2018. Uh, his last win came against a man by the name of David Branch, who... Uh, what is it? Rockhold beat by uh, uh, TKO submission to punches. That was in September of 2017. So the man has not won in five years. Correct. Essentially. Correct. Because 
There is one notable loss that he has up there. Uh, that is Michael Account Bisping uh, via punt uh, knockout uh, at UFC 199. That was in June 4th of 2016. I remember exactly where I was for that one. That was a beautiful moment. Sorry, if anybody's new to the ODPH, I am a huge Michael Bisping fan, and yes, I was I was ecstatic when he knocked out Rockhold because Rockhold talks a lot of trash. Well, you, at first you were stunned. I, well, yeah, I was stunned. Because I, I saw your reaction. You were stunned because you couldn't believe it, and then you were ecstatic. Yeah, well, exactly, because at that stage... Rockhold had that aura around him that mm-hmm. everybody thought he was going to be the next big thing. Well, because prior to his bit loss to Bisping, his fight, his last loss was uh, against Vitor Belfort uh, in May of 2013. So he lost to Vitor. So then he comes back, TKO win, submission win uh, with an inverted triangle Kimura. Yeah, it was wild. Uh, then he comes in, uh, and then after that, sub- uh, with a submission uh, against Bisping. Uh, then he comes and beats Leota Machida via rear naked choke submission, knocks out Chris Weidman. So the dude comes off the Vitor loss and just runs through a who's who of that division at the time. Mm-hmm. So he's riding high, and then Bisping, eh, knockout. Yeah, because he took him too lightly, and then he has never been the same since. Never. One win against uh, David Branch, but like I said, that was five essentially five years ago. Exactly. So the fact that he's now coming back to middleweight, uh, has the game passed him by? I, I would say so. You know, it, it, it ring rust is always a hard thing to come back from in the UFC. You know, some guys handle it better than others, but I think it's something that affects everybody. And concerning his last fight, you know, you can do the math on how many days it was, but his last fight was on the 6th of July, 2019. You can train as much as you want in whatever elevation you want with the greatest coaches in MMA history, you know, the greatest coaches in MMA today. Mm-hmm. It don't do shit and it don't mean shit until you actually get in the octagon with somebody who wants to take your fucking head off. Yeah. You know, it, it don't mean squat. I don't care who you're training with. I don't care if it's, you know, if he's going through a gauntlet match with, with Anderson Silva, John Jones, and insert any other fighters. Mm-hmm. It don't fucking matter until you're actually in the octagon. You know, so I... Listen, Rockhold, all the respect to you for what you've done, but you're you're going to lose this. Yeah, I just I don't see how he's going to win this one. I really don't. And and like I say, I've never been the biggest fan of him. But I, I'm just looking at this from an objective point of view. He's been away for so long. It's and skills diminish over time. Costa has been active, and like I say, I'm not too impressed with him either. But this almost seems like a softball to me. Mm-hmm. That this is going to be an easy fight for him. I could see this getting stopped in the first round. To be honest with you. And I know Costa is a minus three fifteen to Rockhold's uh, plus two sixty. It's going to get ugly. It's going to get ugly early, and that's the whole thing. Like Rockhold, if he's smart, is using leg kicks, keep him at bay, and definitely working some angles to get in. Like that's going to be his way to win this one. Costa, I think, is going to try bull rushing him. Yeah, I mean, because Costa, according to UFC.com slash rankings, is currently the number sixth ranked uh, middleweight fighter in that division. So it's not like they're throwing him to the wolves. You right. know, they're not throwing Rockhold to the wolves. You know, if the Christ, they're throwing him to Whitaker, Canyonier, or Vittori, or Brunson. Fuck, that's throwing, or even hell, Adesanya again. Christ, that's throwing him to the wolves. But also at the same time, you know, it's not like they're giving him, you know, Brad Tavares, the number 14 ranked fighter. You know, and giving him a cupcake. Like, they're like, hey, this is going to be a test. You want to prove you can still do this? Well, here you go. Well, he's a name. I mean, that's the thing about it, that you have that weird nostalgia factor. Sure. Like, I always say, like, the the weird uh, cult-like following. Sure. Like, there's certain people that, when they were big in the time period, they definitely attracted a fan base that follows them. And, like, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't want to say that. But if you talk to fans nowadays, like, a f- very few remember what Rockhold did. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. But for me, I remember him. I remember sure. him very vividly. But that's why I say it's like when you're coming back after all this time off, 
it's a weird thing to see, and especially for him getting put up against somebody in the top ten. Mm-hmm. You're you're relying that he's still got it, and we don't know. I don't think he's going to because I think he's been he's had a lot of other things going on that to take a fight now three years later. It just it's not adding up to me. Like if mm-hmm. I if I have to make a prediction, I'm saying Costa first round TKO. That's me. I, I'm saying the same thing. Like listen, nothing nothing against Luke Rockhold. I got a lot of respect for the guy. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of him, but I respect him for being able to do what he does. Sure, it's something I could never do. Yeah, but hey, listen, dude, games passed you by. You know, I don't know why you're doing this. You're doing this for whatever reasons you you're doing, and that's perfectly fine. That it is what it is. But it's gonna be a first round. This this could get ugly. This could get very ugly and soon. And like I say, I, I just I don't see this how this is going to be an upset. But he might catch Costa because Costa might be thinking too far ahead about this one. Could be. That's the only thing option that I could see going Rockhold's way is Costa's looking past him because he definitely he's desperate to get another shot against Adesanya. Why I don't know, but reasons. Yeah. But then we go to a main event that this is going to be an interesting Ooh, one. Yeah, so this is uh, in the welterweight division for the uh, UFC welterweight division championship where you've got the champion Kamaru Usman, uh, the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Not my opinion. UFC.com slash rankings. It's right there in black and white. Uh, he's currently the men's pound-for-pound top-ranked fighter, uh, taking on Leon Edwards as his challenger. Okay, I don't argue that he is pound for pound the best right now, but I can see how some people can make an argument otherwise. But Kamaru Usman is one of the most dominant champions they've ever had at welterweight, maybe uh-huh. in the UFC period. He is just dismantling everybody that has been thrown his way. He is so technically sound on all elements of MMA. I don't know who's going to beat him unless it's like a weird slip-up. Mm-hmm. That said... Leon Edwards might be the biggest challenge that he's had. And, Pat, I'm going to say this because I know you got Leon's record called up. I do. Read off his win streak. Uh, So uh, Leon Edwards in 23 professional matches has a record of 19 wins, three losses, and one no contest. Uh, He won his last fight against Nathan Diaz. Uh, That was back in June of last year. Had a no contest against uh, Bilal Muhammad. That was an accidental eye poke. That was back in March of 21. Uh, beat Rafael Dos Anjos via unanimous decision in July of 2019. Gunnar Nelson via split decision that was in March of 2019. Donald Cowboy Cerrone uh, by unanimous decision, <clears throat> excuse me, that was back in June of 2018. Uh, Peter uh, Sabota via TKO punches that was in March of 2018. Uh, Brian uh, Barbanera that was by unanimous decision in September of 2017. Vincente Luke via unanimous decision in March of 2017. Albert uh, Tumanoff via rear naked choke submission in October of 2016. Uh, and then Dominic Waters via unanimous decision in May of 2016. And then you get to his last loss against Kamar Usman via unanimous decision on the 19th of December 2015. So a lot has happened since then. Uh, yeah, I would say so. And we have one word that kept popping up over and over and over when you were reading off his uh, fights. Mm-hmm. You know what that word is? Decisions. Mm-hmm. Leon is going to decision this to stay in this. The one thing I will say about him is I don't like using the word boring fighter, but he is a very, very, very technical fighter. He's going to try winning this via points. He's not going to stand there and bang with Usman. He's going to try keeping this on his feet. Mm-hmm. He's definitely going to try outworking points. 
it's not going to be the greatest fight ever, in my opinion. Edwards plays it safe. He's smart. This is why he's gotten the wins he has. Usman, I don't know if he's ready at this stage to deal with that kind of pace. It's almost like a weird anti-Colby Covington pace. Sure. Like, he's going to slow this fight down. And if he starts landing some jabs, and and I'm looking at this not as he's going to win via TKO, Mm -hmm. he's going via points. If he can outpoint Usman, he's hoping he catches him in a mistake. That's how he fights. I mean, I have no personal problem with that. Right. But I like to go see a fight. Like, I'm somebody that's a a fan of the science of the sport. That's what Edwards is going to bring here. So that's his only key to victory I see him doing. It's the only avenue he's got because, and I and I don't see him getting there because I'm looking at Usman's record. Uh, in 21 professional matches, has a record of 20 wins, one loss, currently on a 19-fight winning streak. His last loss came on May 24th of 2013, and it was his second-ever professional fight. Uh, so in his run in the U we'll just even keep it like his last couple fights, uh, beat Colby Covington by unanimous decision in November of 21, uh, knocked out Jorge Masvidal in April of 2021, knocked out Gilbert Burns in February of 2021, beat Masvidal again by unanimous decision. That was in July of 2020, knocked out Colby Covington in December of 2019, unanimous decision win against Tyron Woodley in March of 2019. Unanimous decision against Rafael Dos Anjos in November of 2018. Unanimous decision against Damian Maya in May of 2018. Uh, Emil Weber Meek, unanimous decision in 2018. Sergio uh, Moraes knocked out in September of 2017. Shane Strickland, unanimous decision win in 2017. You know, those are just some of the names. And obviously, as we mentioned, he beat Leon Edwards back in 2015. The man has not lost since, you know, I was still in college, yeah. you know, in, 20, in 2013. A lot's changed for Leon Edwards, but I would say just as much has changed for Usman because the last time they fought, you know, he it was a lot of unanimous decision wins. You know, there was yeah, there was a couple, there was some TKOs in there, there was some submissions in there, but when he fought uh, Leon, it was a unanimous decision win. You look at the run he's been on, especially recently where he knocked out Colby. You know, and they beat him another time by decision, but he knocked out Jorge, he knocked out Gilbert Burns. You know, it, it's a run that I don't know if Leon can beat him outside of what, like you said, the points. I just don't see it happening. I don't see it happening either. Usman's a minus 380. Uh, Edwards is a plus 310. Usman's a monster. Yeah. And this is all from UFC.com, too, for the points again. Or uh, the Vegas line as well. So, that being said, this is going to be Usman via decision. It's not going to be a sexy fight. It's going to be very technical. It's going to be very technical. It's going to be reminiscent of the Edwards fight with Diaz. It's going to be a lot like that. Mm-hmm. Except what you're going to have is Usman is going to weather that storm. I think that he's going to get up for this challenge. He might not knock him out. Like The smartest thing he could do is try doing some grappling and try getting him to the ground. Because I think if he tries standing there, he might get caught getting impatient. Because that's one thing Edwards is going to do. He's going to get on his nerves because he's going to really try slowing this fight down. Usman is that smart of a champion, though. Mm-hmm. Then I don't think he's going to let him do that. I think he's going to put some pressure on him. I think that he's going to have him on his heels. I see this going to decision, though, unfortunately. 
And I see Usman winning a unanimous decision with this one because I think what he's going to do is I think he's going to be putting so much pressure on him, he's going to cause Edwards to have a mistake. And then it's a whole different ballgame. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I'm going Usman. You're taking Usman. Oh, yeah. And I know the UFC is keeping their fingers crossed, Usman, (laughs) because there's another fight coming up in September that we'll know Usman's next contender. Oh, yeah. And that's one Chimeyev. Mm-hmm. Because if he gets past Nate Diaz, trust me, they're going to give him the title shot. It doesn't matter. He'll leapfrog everybody. It's only a few names just going back and forth between the UFC.com's rankings and his record on Wikipedia. There's only a few names in the top five currently that Usman hasn't beaten. Chimeyev's one of them. Yeah. Kazma Chimeyev is going to be the one that is going to get that shot if he gets past Diaz, which I fully think he's going to do. I'd love to see an upset just to see the, the chaos that would happen. Oh, God. But you know the UFC is salivating at the idea of Usman. Oh, hell Shemayev. yeah. Oh, hell yeah. That's that Prince money. That one, we might have to actually get everybody to chip in for that $80 to go get that one because I'm going to say that's going to be absolute fireworks because I know Chemayev is going to put the pressure on him and Usman's going to rise to that challenge. But he has to get through Edwards first. Overall, though, the card looks very solid for the UFC oh, yeah. 278. Yeah, it so, does. Uh, it's going to be kind of interesting with the Saint, uh, Salt Lake City crowd. I don't remember how loud they get like in comparison to some of the other markets they go to. Yeah. So it'll be a fun night to check it though out on your favorite uh, pay-per-view outlet to get the UFC. In the meantime, though, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your predictions for UFC 278? I know Mike from the Multiverse of Badness is going to definitely chime in with his. Be like Mike. Let us know who's your, who's your picks, and then what do you think the fallout's going to be after that? We definitely want to talk about this. So hit us up, let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Sunny Hepburn. And I'm Brandy Fleets. And we're from Book Book of Lies, Lies. the podcast, where we discuss liars, cheats, and thieves, scammers, and dirty, rotten scoundrels. You can tune in for new episodes every Tuesday to hear about another lowdown, dirty liar. And learn how to spot them. So that's Book of Lies podcast. You can connect with us on social media, Twitter at Book of Lies Pod, Facebook, and Instagram at Book of Lies Podcast. Bye. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and let's talk a little bit of wrestling. Oh, hell yeah. And obviously, we have been keeping track of the WWE since the Triple H regime has taken over in creative. Yes. There's a lot to digest, though, from this past weekend. So we're definitely going to talk a little bit of highlights. And especially Monday Night Raw has been mm-hmm. generating a ton of buzz. Mm-hmm. So let's dive into it, Pat. Yeah, I think one of the big things we got to talk about is one of the returns uh, that have been going on recently. No, we're not carrying cross. We already talked about that. But the one that I know you were most excited for was rumored early in the day on Friday that they might be making a return we got to figure out who's leaking shit from WWE because at this point they're like batting a perfect 1000 batting average uh, because it was rumored early in the day on uh, Friday that hit row hit row uh, would be making their return to WWE programming, obviously minus uh, swerve because he's currently signed to AEW. Uh, but it did. We didn't have to wait long uh, during the night uh, when a couple of local talent were coming out for an opportunity to wrestle with WWE. You know, and Pat McAfee using the Telestrator to brilliant and hilarious effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, you did hear Hit Row uh, come start playing, and Hit Row made their triumphant return on WWE programming, to which I say, hell yeah. Super excited to see them back on the main roster. And this is just another team and faction that can definitely make a lot of waves on the roster, on the main show. The first time up, they did not get a fair shake by the Vince McMahon regime. No, absolutely but not. But Triple H understands that. A lot of the wrestlers he was working with 
in NXT just needed a chance to really showcase what they can do on the main roster. And that's the biggest thing is he understands that the fans want to see something different. The WWE Universe is always going to be there. Like, we've always stressed this on here and 607 TWS and anytime you've ever talked to us on social media. WWE is WWE. But if you can incorporate new stars into your roster Mm -hmm. and definitely give the fan base something new to get excited about, this is a perfect way to do it. And Hit Row is definitely going to be another big, big time player on the roster. Well, And and that's the thing. If you just kind of pay attention to the way things are going with Karrion Cross getting brought back. Uh, with with uh, oh what's his name Dexter Loomis thank you Dexter Loomis coming back with with Hit Row coming back you know it's giving us enough flavor and that and that's one of the things Triple H did brilliantly was you had your mainline storylines you know so like the main title the tag titles you know you had your mainline story but there was still enough featured there that you didn't see rematches or the same match like you didn't see Randy Orton versus Sheamus eight hundred fucking times because hey that's the only guys you got mm-hmm. there was enough variety going on and that's what he's setting up here that like even from what like without looking at the specific wins and results just thinking okay who did I see wrestle. You know, you're seeing some of the same faces in the promo stuff because, hey, they, that's the storyline. Sure. They got going. But in between the ropes, it's varied enough. You're not seeing rematches. And, oh, hey, you lost through shenanigans the week prior because somebody came out and interfered. Let's run it back next week. But with this added stipulate, like you're not seeing that. And it's a breath of fresh air. It definitely is. And obviously seeing Top Dollar, Ashanti Adonis, and B-Fab on there, mm-hmm. that's a huge, huge move, too. I know that the internet was going a little crazy because, you know, obviously Swerve Strickland's in AEW, but he yep. even shot them a nice shout-out, yeah. too, as well. And that's the whole thing, too, that NXT influenced a lot on this main roster since yeah. we've seen Triple H come back. Yeah. And it's something that has the fans talking positive. Like, that's the big reason we've been focusing on it so much lately. And obviously, going in from a SmackDown, which had a lot of you know solid action on it as well. Yeah. Monday Night Raw, and I, I got to really jump into this. Sure. Had one of the best promos Oof. that we have heard Oof. in quite some time. Holy fuck. If you're one of the people out there saying, oh, nobody in WWE can cut a promo, that insert wrestler here can cut a better promo than anyone in WWE. Uh, I give you Exhibit A in the promo uh, promos last night from both Kevin Owens and Drew McIntyre. Holy fuck! Yeah, just ru- just straight up emotion, mm-hmm. and you saw both of them who have definitely been stars on this main roster. Yeah, cut something and just give the emotion about how when Drew was originally the chosen one all the years ago mm-hmm. and was let go and rebuilt himself on the Indies as the monster he is today. Yeah. Which always goes to show that if you get let go from WWE, get yourself out there and remake yourself. Sure. Because if you show that you're that time and investment to them, mm-hmm. they'll bring you back oh, at yeah. some point. Oh, yeah. He has definitely ran with that ball and just the promo that he cut about how they had to call him and now he's been here and now he's gone through everybody. He's gone, they've thrown in front of him from the Goldbergs to the Brock Lesnar's to the Randy Orts. Yeah. He is, was, it's a who's who. He literally gave that raw emotion to it. Then when Kevin Owens is like, yeah, you know what? I've been away from a title for five years now, too, and I want it back. And which I, I, f- which I honestly forgot. Like, he's always been in the main event picture. or, or like, He's always been on TV. He's always been in a storyline. It's not like he's been sitting out back and catering, you know, twiddling his thumbs. Mm-hmm. He's always been on TV. He's always been featured. You know, but I honestly forgot it had been that long since he'd been in any title picture. Not, not just the main event, but, like, any title picture. Yeah, and it was absolutely perfect. And the one thing, too, 
which McIntyre did say, and I got to quote this too, we're wrestlers in a wrestling ring, so let's wrestle. Uh-huh. And just hearing that kick in, that just gives you the whole breath of fresh air that we've all been sitting here waiting on. So yeah. that was a cool quote that he had to say about this. And the rest of the show really had some great elements involved with it, too. So you had a great women's tag match, uh, you know, between Alexa Bliss and Asuka taking on Dewdrop and Nikki A.S.H., you know, for the women's tag team title tournament. That, mm-hmm. was, that was a good match. Yeah, the women's tag team title tournament is getting very interesting. Uh, Zoe Starks and uh, Nikita Lyons is coming yep. on to SmackDown this week from NXT. Yep. Super excited to see them on the main roster, right. even, you know, for however long we get them. Yeah. And I think that that whole tournament's going to be a phenomenal one. Like, even oh, yeah. Every match they've had thus far has oh, yeah. been absolutely solid. Oh, yeah. So I'm expecting more of that as we get to the eventual champions, which I'm not doubting at the end we see Sasha Banks and Naomi return to. Yeah, I think so. But it's going to happen. We, yeah, no, that, that's been good. You also had a good match, tag team matchup between Champa and Miz uh, taking on Cedric Alexander and Mustafa Ali. I mean, Christ, this matchup never would have happened under the Vince regime, let alone going for, this is according to ProFightDB.com, uh, nine minutes and 21 seconds. Under the Vince era, this would have been like five. It would have been a squash, but this is where Triple H really is understanding what he has on this main roster. Mustafa Ali has definitely come back in a big way. Yeah, Him with Cedric Alexander is a solid tag team if they want to start pairing them and let them run into the division. I think that's a smart move. Mm-hmm. And Ciampa, since he's gotten onto the main roster, mm-hmm. has really elevated his stock. Being with The Miz helps, but it's not something he needed but I think that guides him a little bit more in what he's got to do for promos to connect with the WWE universe. Mm -hmm. More so than, like, with NXT, it's a different audience, it's a different vibe, but I think now he's really getting and hitting those marks that he can really start elevating his stock, and I'm not doubting he's going to win a belt of some sort by year's end. Mm -hmm. Definitely have that locked up. Yeah, now, also, on a note with Champa, he was on the uh, Ryan Satin podcast, Out of Character, uh, the episode that came out last week, and saw a couple articles that caught my eye. Well, that's one of the things he said specifically about why he went to the main roster because it was well documented that he said, you know, I'm never going to go to the main roster. Mm-hmm. If, if I ever get called up to the main roster, I'm going to retire before it happens. Uh, so reading from the article on whatculture.com says, quote, speaking on out of character with Ryan Satin, Champa noted that WWE's post-pandemic schedule changes – uh, having previously stated that spending 300 days on the road wouldn't work for him, given his history of neck issues, Champa unpacked the change in his circumstances. Uh, quote, 300 days doesn't exist anymore. So that was uh, that was big, and that was something that just kind of recently became a shift. Prior to the pandemic, it slowed, and then now it's just a whole new game. The pandemic itself, the neck surgery, and how it all went down, and I was home almost every single day of Willow's, that's his daughter, first three years. You build such a relationship with your child in those first few years, close quote. Uh, so it sounds like one of the big things, the reason why he went there is obviously, if you remember pre-pandemic, they were doing shows on Monday, Raw, uh, or no, excuse me, uh, house show on Sunday, mm-hmm. Raw, and probably another house show on Monday, show, uh, house shows on Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, Thursday, SmackDown on Friday, house show on Saturday. So they were running seven days of the week, 300 days out of the year. Now it sounds like it's just they're doing the house shows on Saturday, Sunday, Raw on Monday, SmackDown on Friday, which I think to everybody is a lot more appealing. Yeah, it definitely is, and I think it works because we always forget when the WWE tours, they tour constantly. Mm -hmm. And that's a wear and tear on the body every night that we as fans don't realize unless you really start examining it. So 
him though on the main roster has been such a breath of fresh air and, oh, it's and been phenomenal. And he's and he's running with it. And you can yeah. definitely tell he's excited to be there. I mean, he's just a reflection of the locker room's morale. Just just bring back his old music, please. Oh, please. Like like I realize there's been some talk and rumors about making some changes to some of the stuff that's been egregiously changed, especially some there's been rumors of of name changes back, mm-hmm. you know, so Dewdrop might go back to Piper Nevin. Butch might go back to Pete Dunn. There's rumors of that. Nothing's confirmed. Nothing's official. Just kind of some of the talk I've been reading online. Uh, can we make one of those the, the changes? Because that old music was fucking awesome. I'd be completely all right with that. Yeah. Next up. Uh, next up, we had a, a phenomenal matchup. You know, no pun intended for the United States Championship. Uh, I mean, hey, listen, Bobby Lashley said he wanted to be a fighting champion. He is a fighting champion. Uh, last week, taking on uh, Champa and winning. Uh, this week, he took on AJ Styles in a an an amazing match that went 21 minutes and 45 seconds. Whew. It's great to see the mid-card belts mean something again. Yeah. And Lashley defending it on the show each and every week now under Triple H has been great. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, who else could you be paired off with better than AJ Styles? Like this, Nobody. This was a solid match. The Dexter Loomis thing is very interesting. Yeah. So I'm not sure where they're eventually going with this. I like how they kept it the same just because they're that's going to be that seems to be his character now, you know. But I like how they didn't completely carbon copy because I th- I think under the Vince era they would have carbon copied what they did last week and just done the same like same three type of things. But this time they only did the one thing, and then he showed up. Yeah, I agree with you about that. But I also think with the Vince era, oh Dexter Loomis would be nowhere near that main roster. This is also true. Yeah, he would be unfortunately uh, relegated to uh, losing all the time. So mm-hmm. just my opinion on that. But I think with Triple H now. Definitely is building him up that you have the casual fans going, who is this guy? Oh, yeah. And that definitely helps. Oh, yeah. Uh, And then you had a great main event between Theory and Dolph Ziggler, uh, which you had Theory emerge victorious, pinning Dolph Ziggler in 16 minutes and 27 seconds. You know what the funniest thing of the Triple H era I've heard lately? Sure. I really thought Theory was going to go away. I, You know, I didn't think it. I kind of wondered what would happen just because his push was so obviously a Vince thing mm-hmm. that, like, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. Now, obviously, he was, a, he was a Triple H guy because he was part of the way. Sure. You know, down in NXT with, with Dexter Loomis, Indy Hartwell, Johnny Gargano, and Candice LeRae. You know, so I always fi- I figured he'd be featured in some sort of way, but I didn't know if his push to, like, oh, I'm the next top thing in WWE would, would continue. Yeah, it was a puzzling thing that we were all kind of waiting to see. And I know I've had talks with people on social media about this. Sure. And I I think Triple H understands what he has with Theory. I mean, Theory came in with a lot of hype. Mm-hmm. And obviously his first run in WWE, not the greatest. No. When he went to NXT, he thought he cleaned up a lot. Him with Johnny Gargano helped tremendously. Oh, God, yeah. And now being around Vince and being somebody that Vince had some investment, like I say, Vince, the business side influencing him. Yes. Yes. You can definitely see how theories improved his game. And now working with Triple H, he's only going to get better. I mean, who would have thought if you asked me, what, six months ago? Theory versus Dolph Ziggler would be your main event on mm-hmm. a Monday Night Raw. I'd be like, get out of here. And the fact that it would get, you know, 16 minutes and 27 seconds. Yeah. I, I think under the Vince era, you know, this would have been, now, this is assuming it's same type of thing, but like not Theory and his obsession with that, would have been like maybe 10 minutes. It definitely would have been something like that. It, it would have been very short, and Theory probably would have won, you know, underhandedly yeah. more so than yeah, not. In a, but, in a real heel, heelish way. Right, but this was a strong win for him. I mean, Ziggler is Ziggler. He's still a name on that oh, roster. Yeah. And I mean, and he's, I, he's dependable. He, he is, and I think that that's where he's happy with his role in the company. So it's yeah. not like I know some online people are thinking like, oh, he should get pushed more. 
I think he's good where he is. I, I don't think I, he wants to maybe move up anymore. Featured on TV, you know, he's always got a solid, stable job. He, he knows they can depend on him for matches. You know, they want to do a storyline. Hey, you can plug him in there. If, hey, if somebody gets hurt, hey, you can plug him in. Yeah, I mean, he understands the temp in the room, and I think he runs with it better than most. So mm-hmm. this is a big win for him. And, I mean, this is just another big show under the Triple H banner to yeah. hearken to. That, I mean, SmackDown was very solid. We can't take anything yeah. away from that. Yeah. But when we start looking at what they're doing here, mm-hmm. and especially for the quote-unquote flagship show, they're spending a lot of time really building things up, really doing things the right way. This is how the business should be done because now it feels like Raw is a must-watch show. I mean, you look especially just like I said, nothing's repeat, nothing's rematches. I mean, looking uh, according to ProfiteDB.com, I'll run through the card from last Monday on August the 8th. Uh, you had Seth Rollins versus Angela Dawkins, Ezekiel versus Kevin Owens, Finn Balor versus Rey Mysterio, Dakota Kai and EO Sky versus Dana Brooke and Tamina. Uh, Bobby Lashley versus Champa, almost versus uh, enhancement talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dolph Ziggler versus Chad Gable, and then AJ Styles versus The Miz. Now, stop me if any of these are rematches or repeats from this week. Alexa Bliss versus Ox- and Alexa Bliss and Oscar versus Dewdrop and Nikki Ash. Champa and The Miz versus Cedric Alexander and Mustafa Ali. Drew McIntyre versus Kevin Owens. Veer Mahan versus uh, local talent, enhancement talent. Uh, Bobby Lashley versus AJ Styles, Dakota Kai versus Dana Brooke, and Theory versus Dolph Ziggler. No, I mean, it, it's some of the same players, but hey, obviously you've got the women kind of repeating, but they've got the major storyline going with the tournament. You know, Champ and Miz, they they're being featured because they're building this up, building this something. McIntyre, obviously you're building to him him versus Roman, and you got to use him because Roman's not been on TV a whole lot, and he's not on Raw a whole lot. You know, but it, it that's been the breath of fresh air under this Triple H regime is no rematches, at least thus far. No, thus far, but he's definitely taken the time to establish what he wants to do with this. And I think this is why fans are so gravitating towards what he's actually making happen. This is just something that we need to fully embrace and run with, like most of the high praise that he's been getting. That, to quote Kevin Nash, who actually tweeted out, quote, Raw produces again. Drew versus KO, Lashley versus AJ, and Theory versus Ziggler, pay-per-view worthy matches. Little things where guys are holding onto the ropes, onto the apron, keep the action going with high intensity, intensity high. This Triple H guy seems to have incredible grasp of this wrestling game, capital letters. Keep bringing it, end quote from the tweet. And I think that kind of sums up SmackDown too as well. I mean, every show has been clicking. Yeah. They've been setting up a lot for their big UK pay-per-view that they're going to be, oh, I'm sorry, premium event. I got to get still used to saying that. Mm-hmm. But, Pat, I guess final thoughts on this week's uh, WWE action. It's been a lot of fun. You know, I've, I've enjoyed watching Monday Night Raw for the first time in years. It hasn't felt like, you know, an honest waste of time that, like, oh, I could have been doing something better with my time. That, like, it's, it's been something that three hours, yeah, it's a lot of time to devote to, to a television program, you know. But it's it's felt worth it. it, and it, and it feels like I finally feel the need to want to watch it again, which has been a welcome breath of fresh air. Yeah, I agree with you, too. I think that they've had so much win since Triple H has been back, and everybody's starting to get their time. You're seeing returns from NXT. You're seeing Ronda Rousey actually came back, building up that storyline between her and Liv Morgan and Shayna Baszler for the contract signing. That was another big move that happened. Gunther versus Nakamura Mm -hmm. was a great match. I will say with Ronda Rousey coming back, if one of the female talent wrestlers that was let go because of budget concerns 
doesn't come back and reference, hey, Rhonda, thanks for the money letting me come back, it's a missed opportunity. I agree with you, too. I completely agree. But that goes to show that WWE is just clicking on all cylinders right now. It's a fun time to be watching wrestling. So if you haven't checked out the program lately, definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod, and let us know why. And listen, if you're going hard for AEW, trust me, we talk AEW here as well. We talk GCW. We talk a lot amongst the entire ODPH panel and 607 TWS and 607 podcasts. So if you want even more wrestling content, definitely go over to odphpodcast.com. Check out the latest blogs count anywhere. We're talking Circle 6, talking the NWA, talking AEW. You can also check out the latest 607 TWS where we're talking about GCW and the monster weekend they had, New Japan Pro Wrestling. And, of course, on here we're always talking WWE as well, too. We like to cover all pro wrestling because that's what we like to talk to you the ODPH Society about. So definitely hit us up. Let us know what you're thinking, and we'll be right back. Hey, all. I'm Frank. Join me and my friends as we talk about all things geek. Here at Geek Freaks Podcast, we go over the weekly news of everything in geekdom, from movies to TV, video games, and comic books. We also have a growing YouTube community. Join us as we go over everything in your geek life and share in the love of geekdom. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and let's talk a little basketball. Basketball is my favorite sport. So there was actually some good news coming out of the NBA this week, and yes. no, it wasn't Donovan Mitchell's on his way to New York. <laughs> and we will get to the Kevin Durant latest because oof, every like oof. every time we think we're done with it, every time we think there's going to be a pause in that action, oh, no, no, I think he must be listening to the show. And he's like, oh, I got to give the guy something to talk about. Well, he's certainly on Twitter enough. Uh, yes, he is. So definitely, Kevin, if you're listening at ODPH Podcast, and uh, definitely let's chat a little basketball. But first, there is a, a some bright spots that we need to yeah. talk about here with the NBA. So yeah. let's pad. Uh, yeah. So while the NBA uh, schedule isn't officially out, we are getting towards that point where it's going to get revealed, and and some stuff is leaked out about potential matchups. But there is one that is officially out, and it was announced on the NBA.com today that, with the headline quote. NBA won't have games on election day in 2022 uh, with the article on the web NBA's website reading quote, the NBA will be off on election day. The league schedule for the coming season will have all 30 teams playing on November 7th, the night before uh, the midterm elections. The NBA is hoping teams use that night as an opportunity to encourage fans to get out and vote plus amplify the need for civic engagement. But on November 8th, which is election day, no NBA teams have games scheduled teams are being encouraged to, to share election information such as registration deadlines with their fan bases in the weeks leading up to November 8th. The scheduling change come uh, the scheduling decision came out of the NBA family's focus on promoting nonpartisan civic engagement and encouraging fans to make a plan to vote during midterm elections. The league said Tuesday, all 435 U S house seats will be up for grabs on November 8th, along with more than 30 U S Senate seats and gubernatorial races. It's unusual. We don't usually change the schedule for an external event. James uh, Cadigan, the executive director of the NBA's Social Justice Coalition, told NBC, which first reported the league's election day schedule plan. But voting and election day are obviously unique and incredibly important to our democracy. Uh, the move is a rarity for the league, which typically plays no games on Thanksgiving and Christmas Eve and tries to avoid scheduling games on the day of the NCAA men's basketball championship game, often the first Monday in April. It also has a few days off built around the All-Star game, which takes place in February, close quote. 
Love it. Uh, I do too. Lo- I'm all for it. Love everything about it. Uh, and he said they are encouraging that all teams are going to do something about voter registration. Yeah, the, the, to at least make known when voter registration the deadline is and like how when you can when you need to have it done by. That's very cool. I think that yeah. that's a very, very smart thing for them to do. Mm-hmm. I think they're copying the ODPH and uh, the Apotopus a little bit because we don't run pod raids on Election Day Tuesday. Yep. So uh, you're welcome. Uh, no, but in all honesty, I think this is such a cool idea for them to yeah. do. And I think to really especially push it, uh, you know, just to make sure the fans know when their deadlines are for registration, get all that taken care of. And go all out. Have somebody there from, like, the state elections board down there to, like, help you fill out your – if you're not registered, registered, have somebody there at the arena, you know, in some of the weeks leading up to re- help register people to vote. Have some – and if you can't get somebody from the elections board down there for whatever reason – have have somebody from you, you know the the team you know in the concourse with multiple computers set up and have, have people trained and set up like all right here's what we got to do yeah they've done it at rock concerts i mean i i can imagine they could do it here just depending on the time frame of when sure. registrations are due by so definitely something to applaud them for but that wasn't the only big news that no. we definitely want to talk about with the NBA. No. So reading from an article on CBSSports.com, uh, the headline reads, NBA Christmas Day 2022, Lakers, Mavericks, Warriors, Grizzlies, among five scheduled matchups per report. Uh, so while it's not yet official, these are the supposed uh, five Christmas Day games expected to take place. Uh, no, we don't. This isn't official yet, so card subject to change uh but the matchups are as we mentioned the golden state warriors taking on the memphis grizzlies dallas mavericks taking on the los angeles lakers denver nuggets taking on the phoenix suns your new york knicks taking on the philadelphia 76ers hey now and the boston celtics taking on the milwaukee bucks you know what this is a pretty solid matchup that is a very solid matchup i the first let's break down okay so philly at the knicks Mm mm-hmm not mad about that at all. No, it's all, it's an old school rivalry. Yep, it definitely is. I mean, who knows what the Knicks roster is going to look like that day? But that's True. Always, it's always a big day at the Garden. True. So, like, I am not mad about that one bit. It's it's one thing I look forward to on Christmas, mm-hmm. uh, amongst other things. Oh yeah, so excited about that. Uh, Milwaukee at Boston. It's a good matchup. That's a great matchup. Yeah, it is. So I can't wait to see what's going to unfold there. The Western Conference, though, I am I'm a little surprised at a couple things. Okay. Uh, I think the marquee matchup here is Golden State with Memphis. Oh, they've wanted that. Like both sides have wanted that since the playoffs, as they should, because obviously I think the injuries hit Memphis at the worst possible time. Mm-hmm. I know it's not going to make up for a lot, but definitely that is a marquee matchup, and, oh, yeah. and that could possibly be a conference final as well. Oh, it could be, and I, and I know it was Ja. I can't remember if it was him about saying it to Draymond or Clay. I know, sure shit wasn't stuff, mm-hmm. but I know Ja did tweet once this news came out. He's like, "Hey, we got our wish." You yeah. Know, so I know Ja's all sort of excited. Well, there's a whole new vibe with Memphis that I love seeing. They're young. They're hungry. And they want to take on everybody. Like, they have this no-fear mentality, which I love about this team. They, they want to change the culture. And by culture, I mean the, just, like, kind of the stigma around the team that, like, if you're playing NBA 2K or whatever it is, they're like, oh, if you're just looking to have some fun and run up the score, oh, let's play the Grizzlies. I know I used to do it mm-hmm. back in, in the some of the older baseball games with the Montreal Expos. Yeah. Montreal Expos were bad, so I, I want to I want to play a fun game and just run up the score and win an easy game. I'm going to play the Expos. You know, they want to change that kind of stigma. Yeah, and so – Definitely, that's a that's gonna be the marquee matchup of the day. No questions asked. Oh yeah, 
I know the Lakers and Dallas is is the matchup. Uh, it's interesting. It's it, it's gonna it's a good matchup. I mean, it's kind of like you know the star of tomorrow in Luka Doncic taking on the star of yesterday. I guess you could say in, in LeBron. Yeah, you, I could definitely see that. You, know, I was actually surprised the Clippers weren't taking on the Lakers this year. Yeah. That's that's the one surprise I had. That, that, that's kind of cooled off, in all, in my opinion. As, yeah. as somebody who really doesn't have a like, I like the NBA, but I don't really have a rooting team that like I I go for. Mm-hmm. Like on paper, a couple of years ago, yeah, sure, but it's kind of cooled off a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I could see that too. It's just I I figure for the Lakers, if they weren't going to take on Golden State, like that would been the team they would have done. I mean, if, if you want to make a mark, if you want to make a marquee game with the Lakers on Christmas Day. Lakers Celtics, that, oh, that would have been that would have made a lot more sense. But I think that you're already doing the Celtics versus Bucks. Ma- Mavericks make all the sense in the world. Yeah, I mean it. It does make sense. Like I say, I'm just I was puzzled by it. Like like a, just more surprised. I think is the better word. Sure. Because I was expecting if it wasn't going to be Golden State, I figured okay they're going to do L A versus L A because I mean that's just a fun rivalry. Sure. Because I was actually more surprised, too, that they're going to do Denver and Phoenix. Because I thought that it would have been Dallas-Phoenix mm. and have those two teams go at it. Yeah. But I'm not mad about the matchups, though, at all. I think that there's a, it's a very interesting thing that L.A.'s not on here, as in the Clippers. Yeah. And Brooklyn's not on here. hey that was That was a little more surprising. Yeah, well, a couple other reported notable NBA games. Uh, opening night is going to be the 76ers versus the Celtics uh, in Boston. Uh, ring night, uh, opening night is going to be the L.A. Lakers at the Golden State Warriors. Oh, jeez. Uh-huh. Oh, jeez. Uh, your first Battle of L.A. matchup is going to be on October 20th. That's going to be in uh, uh, at the Clippers, uh, so L.A. versus Clippers. Uh, you're going to have the Celtics Warriors uh, on December 10th, the first of two NBA final rematches. Uh, and then on Martin Luther King Day, uh, you're going to have the Suns and Grizzlies. Solid, solid matchups all Absolutely. around. Absolutely, I'm excited for it. I'm getting more amped up for the NBA. The Yankees have cooled off lately, so I need <laughs> something to look forward to. And the Buffalo is going to be Buffalo, but I mean that, that's football. That's year round. So, yeah, yep. but seeing the NBA kick in the swing, and like I said, surprises some of the matchups to Christmas Day left off. Yeah, but maybe. Maybe just maybe it has to deal with one person why Brooklyn is not on that roster. Saying, maybe Brooklyn's not on Christmas Day because we don't know who the fuck's going to be there come opening day. But I'm just saying you got to roll that dice. But, you know, we have to close this NBA talk out. Hey, Christ almighty. With what's what's going on with Kevin now. So let's recap because this is this is this is the kind of shit that you could pitch at a uh, meeting for a soap opera TV show. And they go, no, nah, this is this is totally outrageous. Uh, so free agency goes to start. And, and Kevin Durant, you know, signed the new deal. Mm-hmm. You know, he opted in or whatever it is. Kyrie Irving opted in, eventually, eventually opted in. You know, and then Kevin Durant wanted a trade. He, he demanded a trade, which threw the entire world into a tizzy. Yeah. Uh, and then it came out that Kevin Durant had met with the owner of the Brooklyn Nets and Joe Sy. We talked about this last week, mm-hmm. whatever it was. You know, they met with owner Joe Sy and said, hey, it's either me or the owner or the front office. You know, so basically you either get me and fire the front office in head coach Steve Nash and then their general manager or you keep them and I'm gone. Uh, so now we get through to yesterday where it was reported by uh, Mark Stein uh, reading from a tweet from the Bleacher Report, uh, quote, an NBA executive believes Kevin Durant is more likely to retire than play for the Nets again per at the Stein line. Uh, there's a growing expectation that KD could cause a ruckus to get the Nets to make a trade. Close quote. <laughs> like, you know, at this stage. Brooklyn, just let him retire. Uh, yeah. just, just do it. Just you know what, honest. Call his bluff. Yeah, exactly. Because you know what, what, I, have you, what have you got to lose? You're gonna lose him one way or another. 
But here's the thing. If he retires, wouldn't Brooklyn have rights to his contract when he comes back? Mm-hmm. So let him retire. Yeah. Call, call the bluff. Like, if you're going to have this stance about him, then do it. Oh, yeah. Go hard in the paint. Like, that's the whole thing. Because if you guys are going to go back and forth about who's, who's going to be the last one standing, Brooklyn, you now have the league watching you and seeing how you're going to react to this. You came out publicly and said you're backing your staff. Mm-hmm. You're backing your team. You're the owner publicly said that on Twitter. Yeah. Okay, so if you're going to do that, then you know, then call Kevin's bluff. I'm sorry. Kevin's a great player. But the drama off the court is now getting to such a point, it's mm-hmm. laughable. It, it's laughable, and you have to take a stand just for the sake of your own team because if you bend to this and you do whatever he wants, you're going to have nothing but people coming in and wanting to run the show. Mm-hmm. That you're going to lose total control of that team for the foreseeable future. Yeah, it's going to be absolute anarchy. Like, I'm sorry. Like, the, the fact that... The inmates are trying to still run the asylum. You've put out the public statement, so you got you have to hold your word to that. And if he is really feeling that type of way, and that's his prerogative, if he wants to do that, then he can do that. Call him on it. Call him. Right. Yeah. Like, like I'm sorry. Like it, it's at this stage. If you're gonna let your two egotistical players, because mm-hmm. I think that's a fair way to describe They're egomaniacs, them. yeah. Yeah, if you're going to let them continue to cause this drama to your fans, to your business, to the media, what are you getting out of this? Like, I'm sorry, like, he's a great player, but is it worth this headache? Because guess what? He hasn't brought you a chip yet. Nope. Granted, the first year, recover sure. from leg injury. Sure. sure. I'll give him that, give him that. Sure. But, like, is this worth dealing with on this constant basis? Because this is the headline that we're talking about. We're talking about the biggest sports stories in the NBA right now. Christmas Day. Election Day. Mm-hmm. Durant's retiring if he doesn't get his way. Yeah. Like, do you see what's wrong with this statement? Mm-hmm. So, Brooklyn, as a Knicks fan, I, I'm Fix trying. Fix your house. I, I Seriously. You're making us look like a model organization. Yeah. So I'm advising you, like, call your stance, stand by it, and listen. If KD feels a certain way, then let him do it. And for what it's worth, Kevin Durant did tweet uh, yesterday, quote, I know most people will believe unnamed sources over me, but if it's anyone out there that'll listen, I don't plan on retiring anytime soon. Shit is comical at this point, close quote. You're exactly right. So if that statement is true, then? Like, I hope he was kidding. I hope he wasn't meaning that. But the fact that that story came out. Well, I mean, for what it's worth, there is an article on yahoosports.com from Jason Owens, uh, where the article does say, quote, so who's the unnamed source Durant has issue with? Per Mark Stein's substack, it's a well-connected team executive. Here's what Stein wrote in his newsletter on Monday, quote, during summer league in Las Vegas, one of the most well-connected team executives I speak to regularly insisted to me that based on what he was hearing, Kevin Durant was more apt to retire than play again for the Brooklyn Nets. Stein wrote, this was in early July, close quote. Stein himself is skeptical. He couched the report with his own disbelief that Durant would actually consider quitting basketball while still in his prime and in possession of a $194 million contract. Quote, I told the tipster that I simply couldn't believe that, Stein continued. I was a loyal subscriber to the theory that Durant the Hooper loves playing basketball way too much to adopt such a stance, close quote. So who the fuck knows what's going on at this point? But, hey, that's the report, and here's how we're seeing it. Yeah, I mean, like I say, I I hope for his sake it was fake. You know, after hearing that, because this is the first time I, I, I caught wind of that he's sure. recanted from that. I hope for his sake that is the case. But if if not... 
there must be some smoke to that fire somewhere. It could have been something he's, he thought of or just kind of threw out the idea of, you know, just kind of thinking out loud. You know, who's to say? Well, I'm sure that he's probably thinking that at this stage because he hasn't gotten his way. And I'm sorry, you're locked in a contract. You went there willingly. They're paying you handsomely. If you can't play with Kyrie, then you got to find some team to make the deal with him. You know, be be the player slash agent here and find somebody to get rid of Kyrie. Just do the deal straight up for, for Russell. The Lakers want to get rid of Russell, allegedly. Make them a deal happen. There's ways to make moves like this go down. So that's what I think they should focus on. But if Kevin Durant's serious about retiring, Brooklyn, stick to your guns. Don't budge. No. Don't move. Send him on his way. Because you know what? You'll still own his contractual rights if he tries coming back. And then, you know, maybe you can, you know, work something out then. I don't know. But <laughs> it's just getting crazier by the day with the Brooklyn Nets. And as a Knicks fan, I'm here for that. <laughs> so, obviously, we've given you a lot to talk about in the land of the NBA. So, hit us up on that hashtag. Hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about the Christmas Day lineup? Let's talk about that. Let's, that's the good part of this segment. There are a lot of marquee matchups. I know that we have a lot of listeners in the Memphis area, so I know they're excited about what's going down. But, you know, let's talk about that on social media. And then Kevin Durant. Where are you standing with the latest drama there? Hey. I want to have that conversation with a few people. So definitely hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Cause I wanna go Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got? Gotta talk a little local minute, uh, because looking at the Binghamton Rumble Ponies uh, and their schedule last week, uh, they were playing Altoona. They lost their game on Tuesday by the final score of 6 to nothing. Lost on Wednesday by the final score of 11-1. to Lost on Thursday by the final score of 8-6. to Won on Friday by the final score of 2 to nothing. Lost on Saturday by the final score of 3-2. to And then lost on Sunday by the final score of 6-1. to uh, Looking ahead to this week, they're on the road for a six-game series against Richmond. Uh, they're also on the road for another six-game series the following week against against Reading. They do return home, however, on August the 30th uh, to start a series against the Somerset Patriots. Uh, so for more information and all that good stuff, bingrp.com. Uh, switching over to some football, some uh, kind of sad news for me personally, but, you know, and for the football world, uh, most of you probably didn't care. Uh, although I got to admit, Atlanta Falcons fans, you hated seeing this news mm-hmm. because it brought up Super Bowl 51 again. Uh, but James White, the phenomenal, and I say that personally, phenomenal uh, running back for the New England Patriots, announced his retirement on his Instagram, saying, quote, It has been an honor to represent my family, my teammates, and the people of New England as a Patriot, uh, reflecting on my nine years in the NFL and all the sacrifices it took to get here. There are many people that uh, were just as much a part of this journey. Thank you to my wife and kids for sacrificing uh, my time with them to allow me to play football. My wife, Diana, especially, people do not fully appreciate the sacrifices that our significant others and families have to make to allow us to do, uh, to do everything to perform at such a high level. And Diana was there every step of the way. Uh, 
Thank you to Mr. Kraft, Coach Belichick, and the and the entire Patriots organization for giving me the opportunity to live out my childhood dream. To be able to play my entire career for one franchise in front of the best fans in the NFL has been a tremendous blessing and honor. Uh, to my teammates, thank you for pushing me to be a better person and player. I truly value and appreciate the lifelong relationships I've built along the way. It's these relationships that have helped me shape the man that I am. Uh, to my loving parents who have been who have done every everything possible to help me achieve my goals as a player and uh, and a, a person, thank you for your unyielding love and support and support. You took the time and uh, in taking me to camps and workouts uh, to assure I was the best pos- possible position to achieve my dreams. I am forever grateful. Most importantly, thank you for pushing me to be the man that I am today. I hope I have made you both proud. Uh, and he goes on to thank a whole bunch of other people. But this movie was kind of bittersweet. I kind of saw it coming. You know, he as a three-time Super Bowl champ, uh, winning in Super Bowl 49, 50, and 53. He's on the uh, New England Patriots All-2010s team and a member of the New England Patriots All-Dynasty team. You know, and, and obviously without his... Listen, I know Brady got the MVP sure. for Super Bowl 51, but were it not for James White's performance in Super Bowl 51, uh, there probably wouldn't be another Lombardi trophy in in Foxborough, you know, because uh, we all know 25-point lead, blew it. Uh, but James White in that game, six, ca- uh, six carries, 29 yards, two touchdowns, uh, 14 catches receiving. Yeah, 110 receiving yards and one touchdown. I think the 14 catches is a Super Bowl route, broke a Super Bowl record. You know, or, or I think so. It either tied or broke a Super Bowl record. But the three touchdowns, all of which he had in the second half, including the one in the one in overtime, you know, integral to their comeback. So to you, sir, I say thank you, especially thank you for one of the top two greatest most sports moments of my life. You know, where I was at my absolute lowest. You know, thinking, ah, oh, shit, I'm gonna have to sit here for another six months. You know, with getting ragged on by a bunch of people for another Patriots Super Bowl loss. Too holy shit, I can't believe this happened. You know, and and just doing, running around and cheering and all everything else. Thank you, sir. Enjoy retirement. He's an unsung hero of that team. Yes, he is. Like I, I think, obviously, watching outside, looking in. He never got enough credit for what he did. He did a lot of little things. Yes, he did. To help with that team win. So, obviously, salute to you in your future endeavors of retirement. Yes. So, I'm going to close out with a couple of quick wrestling notes. Okay. Uh, one I mentioned on Blogs Count Anywhere this week on ODPHpodcast.com. Okay. But I want to bring it up because I think it's it's a very cool thing that the National Wrestling Alliance is doing. Okay. So, what they're doing is they're teaming up with Vet Ticks. And they're offering complimentary tickets for NWA 74. That's their big WrestleMania type of show. Right. On August 27th and 28th to active military members, veterans, and immediate family members of those killed in duty. That's awesome. It's an incredible thing they're doing. So definitely shout out to the NWA about that. And let's talk, close out talking a little AEW. So okay. this week's Dynamite has a very big Game of Thrones influence because of the mm. new show House of the Dragon. So the prequel is coming out very, very shortly on HBO. And obviously, this main event is going to be tying into it a little bit because of the American Dragon. Brian Danielson is going to be taking on Daniel Garcia, okay. the quote-unquote Dragon Slayer in a two-out-of-three falls match. Okay. You also have on the undercard, Tony Storm is taking on Kylan King. You have the Varsity Blondes taking on the Gun Club. And you have in one of the more interesting setups okay. that they're trying to hype because they're finally getting the Trios uh, Tag Team Titles yes. tournament going. Yes. Try saying that three times fast. Uh, you have... The team of Andrade, Roosh, and Dragon Lee taking on the Young Bucks 
and a mystery partner. Mm. So we don't know who this is. It's getting heavily alluded to. It's going to be Kenny Omega. I think if they do that, it's going to be dropping the ball completely. I think it's going to ultimately wind up being Hangman Adam Page. Maybe. Because they've been doing this on being the elite, if everybody's still watching that on YouTube. Uh, so I, I think that it's going to be a solid match regardless. But I think if they bring back Kenny Omega just for this, I think they're going to drop the ball completely. Yeah. I think that Omega should be walking out at the end of All Out to challenge CM Punk. That's how I would do things, but hey, I'm not Tony Khan, so I know that he's going to definitely do something for that. So if you're excited to check that out, remember to check it out on Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the TBS Network. So that being said, the music you heard on this edition of the ODPH, is that a Brian Wolf? Brian's got a lot of new music out. Yes, he does. He's doing a little touring around Austin. So, Pat, if I want to find out more about Brian, where do I go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over the music section. You check out everything going on with Brian. Everything going on with Second Suitor, who just dropped an album that is out in wherever you find great music. And they also did Suitor Slam 2 at the X, which I heard rave reviews about. Mm. You can also find out about Tom Jolu. He's fantastic. Yard Party, Floodlands, Shout at the Robots, who are coming back big way on Patreon. Big, big, big way. So definitely go check out all those bands. They're fantastic people. You can also check out the Parlay Points section of the ODPH Podcast website, which has new blogs up. So a brand new wrestling blog is up, as we talked about. Blogs count anywhere. Might have something in this week, possibly from Coach Duffy. We're trying to talk to as he's on the road to making a lacrosse team. Yeah, he is. So we're putting that public pressure on him. At Coach Duffy 11 on Twitter, you need to send him some moments of encouragement because he has one shot. Will he capture it or let it slip? I would recommend Deshaun Jackson and the punt uh, punt off uh, as a good starting point. My God, man, you have no no chill about you about this. But, yeah, definitely Coach Duffy is trying out for a uh, semi-pro lacrosse team. And if you don't feel like sending him that, send him the Alabama Crimson Tide fight song. Wow, you are just going at him right now, and I am here for that. I approve. So definitely uh, – we might get a little blog update about that. We've asked Coach to give us a little play-by-play about what he's been up to. So we heard rumor it might come in this week. So that's why you got to follow the blog section. A lot of stuff going on there. Also, the classified section, which has friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcast, Dragon Master Games, and a whole bunch more, along with organizational link support and Black Lives Matter and voter registration. Plus, we have the directory pad, which how many providers are we on right now? Uh, 816,000. Man, growing every day. So that is why we say, if we're not on your favorite podcast provider, for whatever reason, let us know and we'll fix it because we give you a plethora, yes, plethora of podcast platforms to go follow and listen to the ODPH right there. And we can't stress this enough. If you're not following us on Apple Podcasts, just drop a follow. You won't get every single episode downloaded to you, but it does help the algorithm in a lot of ways as we have found out. So if you're not doing it, please make sure to do that for us. We really, really do appreciate it. The T Public Store and the Patreon is up and running right now. $2, one tier, and a whole lot of content on the way. All of that and anything else that is the ODPH can be found at odphpodcast.com. That's all I got for this week's For the Only Padawan J. Fuck the Astros. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.
Sweet. 